Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good to see all of you. I love those powerful verses on there, reminding us of the God of miracles that we've been studying about this past week. It's good to have Jordan and uh, Logan back with us again, and uh, what a wonderful, wonderful praise service you've already enjoyed. What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus, right? And there's power in his name. That's what we're going to be talking about. Speaking of power, we had us some good fireworks last week, right? They were powerful, right? They were really good. Yeah, I think they deserve a hand. Oh, man, I tell you what. I know a lot of you have your traditions. You do kind of your own thing or whatever on the 4th of July, and that's fine. But uh, if you missed last week, it was a good, good time. We had a great time of fellowship together. Just being able to be together again was so, so nice to be together as a church family. And then I think everybody kind of thought we was going to have a little bit of fireworks. We had a lot of fireworks, okay? It, it, it rivaled Mill Creek or anything else around. It really did. So uh, uh, if you missed it, hopefully you can come back and uh, be a part next year. We, we hope to do it again. Somebody said, where do we get the money for those fireworks? I said, well, we have a budget line item for that. And they said, well, good, because if we didn't, we was going to start taking up uh, money so we could do it again next year. And that was mostly all, all of our senior adults. They, they thought it was fantastic. But uh, I appreciate everybody that made it possible. It was a great, great night together. I want to especially thank Sean McMickle and his pyrotechnic crew. Um, you know, this is the first time they had done this. And so, you know, it's just not something you can practice ahead of time, right? And, uh, and so uh, it could not have gone any better if they'd have had a practice run. But uh, I think they just want to do more next year. You know how these kids are. They just want to do it bigger and better next year and all that kind of stuff. But we really appreciate them doing that. Uh, Wayne. And Carrie Searcy of Ocean Galley provided all of our meat for us uh, at, at no charge, and we appreciate them doing that. Billy Mills for cooking it all up. Uh, uh, Dylan and Erica Benitez. Uh, Erica is one of our newest members in the college student that is back home in Atlanta. So she drove from Atlanta to Tennessee and then to Macon, and Dylan drove and met her in Macon. It was a 12-hour round trip altogether to get those fireworks here, so we appreciate them doing that. And then Kim Freeman and her crew putting all the food and stuff together, and uh, it was just a great night to, to be together and celebrate our independence. And speaking of Kim, they're actually on their way back. She's been at uh, Kid with our young, younger kids uh, all weekend at kids' camp, uh, and so be in prayer for them as they travel back. They should get here about the time that we're dismissed. Missing, so just say a little prayer for their safety. Um, and then uh, a dear saint uh, was called home to Eastern Heights, and we're, we're thankful and blessed to have so many that work together to make everything happen. Well, next week, we are going to start a new series, okay? It's called Behind Enemy Lines. It's going to be a doctrinal series on Satan and spiritual warfare. And because we're going to be talking about the enemy for the next several weeks, that means he's not going to be happy about things, okay? And so we're victorious. We're going to, we're going to whoop him. We've already beat him. But I, I just want you to know that he ups his game when we start talking about him. So I need you to up your game, be on your guard, and I want you to up your prayers a little bit over these next few weeks as we talk about that because it's a very real 
thing that we have to fight. Now, speaking of being victorious, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you know the victory that I'm talking about. And you are what the Bible calls the child of God, and God is our Heavenly Father. So we use those family terms to just talk about how that... Um, uh, you know, that we have this relationship with God that is, that is intimate and it's intense. And it's, it's part of this being a God of miracles is understanding that we are his child. And that makes us a miracle in and of itself. As a child of God, we are a miracle. And so that is just something to think about today is realizing that you are a walking miracle yourself. And so far we've learned in this series, God of Miracles, that he has given us as his children power in the name of Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit and that we have been given that power here on this earth to do great and mighty works for him. And we learned last week that the person God needs to do that with is a person who is repentant, all right, which means that they have turned from their evil ways and they've turned to the righteous ways of God. They've turned from doing their own thing to doing the God thing and they're living a life of commitment to Jesus Christ. And so to be his witnesses, uh, you know, we are all called to be that because we are we're, we're responsible for sharing that life-changing message of salvation with people who are lost and need to hear it. And so that's what uh, the, the message is entitled today, People Need to Be Reached. And I think sometimes we forget that. We think that everybody out there is, is going to heaven, you know? We just had this funeral yesterday, and you know, you, do, you really don't think about death and dying till you have to. It's kind of one of those topics you try to avoid most of the time. And so we get to kind of lax and thinking everybody's ready to go to heaven. And, and that's one of the biggest things that was talked about at the Southern Baptist Convention this year is the decline in baptisms all across the, the world, especially with Southern Baptists. The, we used to be the number one evangelical group in the world, and, and that is just declining, declining, declining. We're not telling people about Jesus as much as we used to, and we need to be telling people about Jesus. Well, as you know, being a witness is simply telling what you've seen and heard. If you've ever been called into court, you know what that means. Uh, you've all watched television shows. Surely you've read it on an email or so, but uh, these are some actual maintenance complaints that came in from the United States Air Force pilots to the maintenance crews that work on the airplanes. And I thought it was just real fitting about how that communicating what you've seen and heard can be challenging sometimes because they submit a problem and then the maintenance crew will submit back to a solution. So here, here was the first problem from one of the pilots. It said, left inside main tire almost needs replacement. The solution from the maintenance crew was almost replaced left inside main tire. All right? Problem. Test flight okay, except auto land very rough. Solution, auto land not installed on this particular aircraft. Problem, something loose in cockpit. Solution, something tightened in cockpit. <laughs> Problem, number three engine missing. Solution, engine found on right wing after brief search. Problem, DME volume unbelievably loud. Solution, volume set to a more believable level. Problem, IFF inoperative. Solution, IFF inoperative in OFF position. <laughs> Some of you will get that one later. All right. Problem, friction locks cause throttle levers to stick. Solution, that's what they're there for. Problem, problem. 
Evidence of hydraulic leak on right main landing gear. Solution, evidence removed. <laughs> so being a witness and simply telling what you've seen or heard, it's not as easy as you think sometimes. It can get complicated. It can get misunderstood. And I think that's where we kind of land when it comes to witnessing for Christ. You know, we, we think it's difficult. We think it's complicated. But I hope when you leave today that you'll feel a little bit more at ease. You'll feel a little bit more comfortable and confident about sharing your witness for Jesus when we leave today. You know, we've been studying about the crippled man that was healed in Acts chapter 3 and 4, right? The last couple of weeks as we've been talking about the God of miracles. And, and so if you'll recall, if you weren't here, there was a crippled man that had been crippled for 40 years. He was outside the temple gate and he was begging for money each and every day. And Peter and John came along and Peter said, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, be healed. And so he was healed and he, he began to walk and he began to run and, get, and began going all throughout the church and, and it was quite the amazing thing. Matter of fact, it says the people who saw it were utterly and uh, amazed at uh, uh, what they had seen, this miracle that God had performed with the crippled beggar. And so we're going to pick up that story today in verse 13. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. So they called a church council meeting, right? So that's the first thing I want us to understand is we talk about people needing to be reached is they need for Christians to be bold. That's what the Bible says happened with Peter and John here. If you'll recall, Peter preached this pretty strong sermon to this crowd who was basically confused at what had happened with this miracle because verse 13 says that, you know, the, the guys, they, they weren't special. They weren't trained. They weren't supposed to be having this power. They were just ordinary men. So where did this miracle come from, you know? And, and even though they were confused about the miracle, verse 15 says that they were mostly amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. They were amazed at their boldness because they knew, like I said, that they were just ordinary men, but they also knew that they had been with Jesus. And although they weren't trained professionals or the spiritual elite, they realized that there was something special that had gone on in this time that they had spent with Jesus. And so the church council... They could not deny the miracle that happened. Like I said, it was standing right there in front of them, running all through the church. And so they called for this church council meeting, and we pick it up in verse 16. It says, what should we do with these men? Talking about Peter and John. They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda, that tells you something right there, any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So here's a couple of these ordinary guys. No special training classes. They had not been to a witnessing class. Matter of fact, on occasions, both of them had denied even knowing Jesus. But on this day, on this day, they had been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they had become bold witnesses for Jesus. And because of it, because of their boldness, they met resistance. They met with resistance. And so that's the second thing I want you to understand was we talk about people needing to be reached is that we need Christians who are not only bold, but that you're braced up for the resistance that's going to come your way. You know, they say change is inevitable. And that's one thing that uh, has not changed. 
is the resistance that comes for that. And, and uh, it really hasn't changed uh, that much as far as, uh, you know, the, the trials that you face, especially, you know, our teenagers at school and public schools, they, they go through a really, really tough time. Those of you that at work, you, you know the challenges there and taking a stand for Christ. And as cultures become more and more secular, it's become harder and harder, right? But one thing that has not changed uh, is the fact that we have to be bold. But one thing that has changed is how we go about doing that. I was in this for Jesus, and they reject, you know, your efforts and what you're saying. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And that sounded pretty good, and it's partially correct, but not totally, because not only are they rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting you as well. Matter of fact, in Matthew 10, 22, Mark 13, 13, and Luke 21, 17, all three of those scriptures say the exact same thing, and it's this. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. It's what Jesus told the disciples. Hey, follow me. Give up everything you have, but just know everybody's going to hate you for being one of my followers. That part of witnessing has not changed. So you need to be braced for the rejection that's going to come. It may be from your friends, your co-workers, uh, your neighbors. It might even be from family members. And so Jesus didn't want us to be surprised at this resistance, but he also didn't want it to deter us from being bold and being his witness. And so God gave us that power of the Holy Spirit to be bold for him when we need to be bold. And here's what the disciples told the church council, verse 19 says, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? That was a pretty bold statement right there. So the third thing we see is people need to be reached, so they need Christians who won't back down. People need Christians who won't back down. Jesus made it clear for these three years that he spent with these disciples that he was looking for followers and not just fans. He was looking for disciples and not just admirers. He was looking for people who would live for him and not just be amazed at what God was doing. See, there's a big, big difference between going, yay, Jesus. You know, you see a group of people over there doing something really good for the Lord, and they go, yay, Jesus. Y'all doing such a good job. Yay, y'all keep it up. There's a big difference between cheering for that and cheering for Jesus, and then saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, send me. I'll be the one that goes. I'll be the one to do it. Big, big difference between cheering for Jesus and saying yes to him. You know, it seems like in America, we've got these uh, levels of Christianity, and part of it's kind of good in that you want to be able to relate to people where, where they're at and whatever level they are in their spiritual journey. But, you know, we kind of come up with these levels that kind of throw us off a little bit too. And, and I've been guilty of doing it myself as well. Matter of fact, you know, we had the, I, I call them the level of the curious, you know, um, because they're, they're starting to think about what it might mean for their life if they were to become a Christian, right? And so they move from being curious to becoming uh, 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 what is it? That's why I have my notes. Yes, convicted. Convicted. They move from being curious to being convicted. And so they start feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit in their life that they need to give their life to Jesus Christ. And then you move from RE. You know, those that somehow had gone deeper with the Lord than anybody else in those previous lesson, uh, levels. And it kind of made me think is there really such a thing as a deeper walk with Jesus? Have you ever heard somebody talk about that? We just need to have a deeper walk with Jesus. Is there even such a thing as a deeper walk with Jesus? Or could it be that we're just living subpar level Christian lives to start with? 
Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's not a deeper wall. We just ain't where we need to be. All right? Think about it that way. You know, I remember Jesus saying more one time here in his word, it's either all or nothing. And I remember growing up, my preacher would stand up in the pulpit and he'd say, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Right? And we don't hear that much anymore. Now, but I want to get real for a minute. You know me, I like to get real. I like to keep it real. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands because we don't need any testimonies this morning because you might embarrass yourself. So don't raise your hand or say anything, but just want you to think about it, all right? How many of you here, as we're talking about this commitment level here, how many of you would consider yourselves 100% sold out for Jesus? Just think about it. You're 100% sold out for Jesus. I mean the kind of sold out where you would sell your house or one of your cars to help somebody out in the church. That kind of sold out. Okay? The kind of sold out where you would take uh, yourself, your family, and tomorrow you would quit your job and you would move your family this coming week to a foreign country to become a missionary and just trust God to give you a place to live and food to eat and, uh, and take care of everything. 100% sold out to Jesus. What about if it was something like just showing up at the courthouse to proclaim Jesus publicly, and in doing so, you knew that you would be put in jail or go to prison? 100% sold out for Jesus. And so some of your responses are kind of like, well, you know, to be completely honest, I don't think I'm quite at that level yet. Not 100%, maybe I'm just 99% sold out to Jesus, right? I mean, is it even possible to live up to that standard of discipleship that we see in the Scriptures? Is it even possible to live a life of devotion and surrender that Jesus calls us to? Because some of us already feel terrible about our Christianity, right? I mean, we feel like we aren't good enough. We're always disappointing God. We think, you know, if they were making a reality TV show, if they'd just come to our house, we could show the world how to be a failure at being Christians, right? And then some of us think, well, if we just try harder, we could be better at it. But what we, most of us end up doing is we, we just quit trying. We just give up and we just quit trying to live for Jesus. Because up to this point, it's proven to be too hard. It's, been, it's, it's just too difficult. Failed over and over and over. I mean, there's too many things that we should be doing that we aren't doing. And there's too many things that we shouldn't be doing that we are doing. I mean, challenging, isn't it? It's tough. I mean, is it just me, or can you relate to what I'm talking about? So for me, it raises a few questions. I'll just throw them out and see if I'm just weird or what. But one question I have is, if we can never get to where Jesus calls us to be, why does he bother to have a start? Why does he make it so unattainable? I mean, surely he knows what we're like and our weaknesses. Does God enjoy seeing us fail? Is true discipleship only for the spiritual elite? I mean, is there uh, a special kind of person who qualifies to be a disciple of Jesus, and I might not be that kind of person. I might not meet up to those qualifications. Well, the obvious answer to all those questions is no. No, that's not the issue. People need to be reached, and people need Christians who won't back down, but rather they'll buckle up and be bold for Jesus. And don't get discouraged and don't 
feel guilty. Don't get legalistic and just give up and quit. I mean, look at the 12 guys Jesus picked. I mean, look at them. We, we, we've looked at them before. I, that's why I love looking at them because it reminds me of the fact that we all fail. There's none of us that, that can really live up 100% to everything that's in there. And when you look at the 12 disciples that Jesus picked, it kind of puts us back in the game again. gives us a little bit of hope that maybe God can use our blunders as well, just ordinary people, right? Remember, that's what the church counsels, that they were ordinary people. Maybe you've heard this one before, but it was uh, an illustration about if Jesus hired a consulting company, all right, to help him pick out the 12 disciples, what that would look like uh, on paper. Here, here, here's how it goes. Dear sir, talking to Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but we've also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. This additional insight is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas just demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new adventure. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consulting Company. Now, that was a cute way to just be reminded of these guys that Jesus picked and all the blunders that they had. I mean, in Matthew... I can imagine this is kind of a casual setting and Jesus is sitting around with the disciples and they're just kind of chilling. Maybe it was around the campfire and, um, you know, they were just talking a little bit. And so Jesus was trying to teach them. And so he uses a parable, which is an everyday situation in story form to explain a point that he's trying to make. And so Jesus sits around and he tells the disciples this simple story, this simple parable. And Peter turns to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I don't, really understand what you're trying to say. Could you explain that just a little more? And Jesus looked at Peter and says, Peter, why are you still so dull? D-U-L-L. Why are you so dull? <laughs> Parents, have you ever wanted to... <laughs> well, never mind. We won't go there. But, uh, but anyway, why are you so dull, Peter? I mean, 
wake up, smell the coffee. I mean, I've been telling you about this stuff for three years. You should be getting a little bit of it by now. And then the, the disciples, they were always on this power trip, right, about who's going to be the number one disciple. Now, we experienced that firsthand this past week. It made me think about the sermon today because we had three of our four grandkids for Count Manna and Daddy Mac all week long. That's kind of why I'm all over the place today. I'm just kind of mentally, you know, blown up up in here, so pray for me. But anyway, we had all three of them, nine, seven, and three. Now, would you believe that if you were to line up a nine, seven, and a three-year-old all in a line, and you were to put three different age-appropriate toys in front of them and say, now, which toy do you want to play with? All three of them are going to inevitably pick the same single toy every single time. And why is that? I mean, why do they have to have that same toy? Why can't you just play with your toy and you play with your toy and you play with your toy? But no, we got to bicker about it all week long. I mean, all week long. Who's going to play what toy when? And I want this toy now. And, and he took my toy and she did this. And oh, my Lord. Reminded me of the disciples. They were all the time sitting around going, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest here? I'm the greatest disciple, by the way. You know that, don't you, Peter? You, you, you do know that, right? I'm John. I'm, uh, he loves me more. They're always fussing about it. Who's the most important? Who's going to be the one that they're, they're going to go to when a decision needs to be made? Fussed about it all the time. And the whole time Jesus has been doing what with the guys? Teaching them to be servants to other people. They just weren't getting it. Judas, of course, betrayed him. Peter, James, John, you know, the night they're supposed to be praying hard right before Jesus was crucified, they're falling asleep, taking a nap. Maybe they'd help Kevin Man and Daddy Mac. I don't know. But Jesus, when he's rested, they all ran off and hid. All of them. And then when he was resurrected, Thomas doubted, you know, that it was really him still. I mean, it was just one thing after another. These were people who regularly blew it when it came to living 100%. For Jesus, So their shortcomings remind me, and hopefully it'll remind you, that, hey, if Jesus can use them, if they can turn the world upside down, then he can use us to be bold witnesses for him and to be braced up for the resistance that might come. Because these disciples, they were ordinary people, just like me and just like you, who became eventually bold witnesses for Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the last thing I want to look at today is People need to be reached, so they need Christians who will boldly share their story. Here's what Peter and John told the church council. Verse 20 says, We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Have you ever met a Christian that was so fired up for Jesus they just wouldn't shut up about him? Pretty exciting, isn't it? You know, Probably when you hear about being a bold witness, you, you may think you're supposed to have all the knowledge that you need to answer every single question that they might have about the Bible or any question that they might have about Christianity and that you need to be a trained professional from seminary or something like that. So you come to the conclusion that you're none of these things. And so, you know, it, it's created fear, that lack of confidence. So you just kind of stay quiet with your Christianity. You know, it reminded me, uh, again, back when I was a, a young teenager, uh, one of our friends had been tragically killed in an accident. So several of us uh, from school had 
uh, decided that we would go and attend the funeral. So uh, we, we checked ourselves out of school, which back then uh, we all went to school and we all went all day long and, and you know, you didn't go all over the place. So we actually had to get permission and have signed notes and we had to check out of school. You know, it was a pretty big deal. Well, we all had our suits and ties on. See, that, that's, that's one of the things that's kind of changed over the years. I did a funeral yesterday and I felt kind of awkward for a long time because I had on jeans and just a shirt that was untucked because that's the way everybody kind of kind of wanted it, uh, and the pallbearers had on their jeans and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, hey, go with the flow, whatever. But anyway, back then, when you went to a funeral, everybody wore a suit and a tie. Now, when you see a group of seven or eight high school boys walking in with suits and ties on in the middle of the day during the week, you knew something was up. Well, we had walked into a fast food uh, place to get something to eat before the funeral, and here we all come strolling in with these suits and ties on. And I, I kind of went over to one of my friends. I said, man, we look like we are somebody. He said, yeah, and if you'll keep your mouth shut, we'll fool everybody. And, um, you know, you think about it, that's, that's probably true. But uh, anyway, I, I know that you feel sometimes inadequate to tell your story. And so a lot of times we put on our Christian suit, so to speak, and, and we go out, but we just kind of remain quiet about our relationship with the Lord. Well, I, I want you to have confidence today, not so much in what you don't know, but what you do know. And you know what you do know? You know your story. You know your story. And remember, that's what being a witness is. It's simply telling what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've personally experienced with Jesus Christ. You're simply sharing your story. You're not trying to pull somebody in a, into a debate or anything like that. You just are simply telling people what you've experienced in your own walk with Jesus Christ. And you know the coolest thing about sharing your story? Nobody can argue with it. You can argue about a lot of things in the Word, right? But nobody can argue with you about your story because it's your story. Look at verse 21 as we close today. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. And what were they praising God for? Verse 22, for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. There were a lot of distractions going on with all of that stuff that was going on, but what really caught everybody's attention was the miracle that God had performed in that man's life. You know, we have to stay current and relevant with the culture that we live in in order to reach the culture that we're trying to reach. We, re we really do. But having said that, the truth of the matter is we really need to get back to simply telling people the gospel story of Jesus Christ and to boldly proclaim it as Christians who know the Lord and who have a story to share. We need to get back to doing that again. Jesus was not only current and relevant, but he was pretty radical. And so what Jesus is looking for is sometimes is for us to be a little radical too. So the takeaway from this is to understand this. Without the boldness of those two disciples, Peter and John, there never would have been a miracle that day. Do you understand that? The guy had been a crippled man for 40 years. But because of the boldness of those two guys on that day, everything changed. Everything. Do you realize what could happen if you were to give your life to God to be used as a bold witness? The lives that could be changed, the miracles that would happen. 
Well, the takeaway of the whole series is understanding this. The healing power of Jesus' name, the miracle of a changed life, is all about the fact that God has changed your life through a salvation experience and given you the power of the Holy Spirit to be that bold witness for him. And so I hope our focus moving forward is that we would always focus on the life-changing power of Jesus and the God of miracles because he wants to do a miracle every single day in somebody's life. Let's pray together. Hey, God, thank you so much for the word that has taught us today that You've not only called us to be a bold witness for you, but you have taught us today that it doesn't come from a book that we read or a class that we go to or some kind of course that we take, but it really comes through the power of the Holy Spirit who you have given to us freely who know you as Lord and Savior to to share with other people. So God, today, that is our prayers that you would make us the bold witness that you called us to be. May we brace for the resistance that comes, but yet not shy away from it and to realize that, God, that, that wherever we're at in our relationship with you, that you'll use us if you'll let us, if we'll let you. And so, Father, we pray today and we give you our lives. And maybe some of us need to be more committed than we are. If that's what needs to happen, I pray that would be your prayer today is that you would up your commitment to Christ. For those who want more boldness to share their faith, I pray that you would give it to them. I pray that they would prepare and that they would study and that they would train. But Lord, most of all, they would just be bold and share their story with other people. God, may we continue to always focus on the God of miracles in our lives and in our church. We ask it in Christ's name. All God's people together said, amen, amen. Don't forget we have a brief call business meeting uh, as we dismiss in just a moment. We invite you, if you're a member of our church, to stay for that. And, uh, and then we will be dismissed for the day. We have some couple other meetings going on, I think. A lot of things happening. So thank you again for your presence today. Pray that you'll be the bold witness God's called you to be. Let's all stand together as we sing together. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.